0: You're listening to the Message Podcast of High Ridge Church Longview, where our vision is to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and ultimately make a difference. We are so glad that you're here, and we pray that this message impacts your life as you apply the spiritual truths from God's Word in practical ways. Let's listen. To it.
1: Good morning, High Ridge Church. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online, including my mother. Hello. Yes. Without her, I would not be here. So, um, I want to point out that I am not a funny Mexican. Um, It's going to be much, much worse today. I'm English, which makes things uh, pretty bad. So, uh, my name is Paul. Um, I've got a last name, too. I can't pronounce it, so I don't expect you guys to. Um, We'll just move on. But I'm a campus pastor at um, Longview Christian School. Um, I teach Bible and uh, theology there, too. And I'm a soccer coach as well, so it's all good, good, good fun. Um, I just want to uh, give a shout out to, to Pastor Tim um, and our elders and our pastors. I just want to honor them. I'm so grateful to be part of a healthy church, um, a church that has a leadership that cares so much for its people um, and doesn't compromise the message of Scripture. Um, I'm just really, really grateful for that. So um, thank you all for that. Um, One of the things I love most about this church is when you come in through the the entrance here, if you look upon the wall, you'll see four uh, things that are really important to the life of this church. And one of them is to know God, to know God. And I feel like that for me is like my life, uh, like my purpose in life is to know God, but not just to know him, uh, but to also help others to know him too and know a true version of him. Um, because we can go through life and kind of create a false version of God. And, and, and there's some things, particularly when we uh, read through the Bible, there's some things about God that are really hard to understand. There's things about God that are really hard to reconcile, especially when we think about it through our, our culture right now. There's a lot of things when you read in Scripture, you're like, I'm not okay with this. This is, this is hard. There's hard things to reconcile. When you read through the Old Testament, sometimes it's hard to see God's grace in the Old Testament. And when we think about trying to know God, it's really, really important that we understand that uh, we're never through that stage. We're never through, that's not just our one and done, yeah, I got God, now let's move on to the next one. That one permeates all the others. It permeates through your entire life. And you'll never get to a place where you fully understand God. And that's okay. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians confirms this. He says in, in chapter 13, verse 12, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We're always going to be on this journey, right? We're always going to be trying to know God more, know God better, have a truer version of God. And it's never going to be complete until we pass through the end of this life. But one of the problems that we can run into is our expectations versus reality, right? If you get on social media, uh, you see those videos every now and then of expectation versus reality, right? And you you see um, some beautiful location. They're like, this is my expectation. And then they get there and it's like, right? Wasn't anything like they thought it was going to be. Well, I had a similar experience. And people ask me about this all the time because uh, I'm English, like I said. and, And people will come to me all the time and say, hey, what were some of the things that you expected about America? Like, what did you think America was going to be like um, and versus, like, what you actually got to experience? And I try to avoid that question as much as possible because my understanding of America was based on Hollywood. That's all we really knew. Like, that's all we had to go on. Um, but when I, So when I came here, my real expectation was uh, founded around movies, and I just really expected NASCAR to be good. Because I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and one of my favorite movies was Days of Thunder. And if you're, if you're younger, you don't know what that movie is. I don't care, okay? But that was one of my favorite movies. And I just thought, man, NASCAR is awesome. And then when I got here, I tried to watch a race. And I lasted maybe five laps. Because I'm like, is this it? But they try to amp it up. Like on commercials, they're like, the world's greatest drivers get together and duke it out at Daytona 500. I'm like... I don't think they're the world's greatest drivers because they never turn right. <laughs> so I was bitterly disappointed that NASCAR was not as good as I thought it was going to be. And I think too many times this happens to us, right? When we, when, we, uh, when we have an idea in our heads about what God is like, and then that reality doesn't match up with that expectation, And so then that throws us into this area of disappointment and disillusionment where we have to kind of work through that moment and and ask some questions, questions like, did God just let me down? Or do I perhaps have a bad view of God? Maybe God isn't who I think he is. And then we need to ask questions like, where did I get this expectation from? Why do I think that God is this way? So like I said, I teach theology. I love teaching theology. It's one of my favorite things to do and talk about um, because theology is not just an intellectual pursuit, okay? It's not just a bunch of ideas that I either agree with or disagree with. Theology is my pursuit of understanding God to the best of my ability and so that with a true view of who he is, I can approach him correctly, I can follow him correctly. I can do the things that he is asking of me. I can worship him in the right way. And that matters. I don't want to get to the end of my days having followed a God that doesn't actually exist. So how do we get a better view of God? How do we do it? How do we try to see more clearly? Even though we're only seeing through a mirror dimly, is there a way in which we can clean that mirror up just a little bit? And I think that there is. So I wanna give you three things this morning that are gonna help you get a better view of God. The first one is this. I refuse to look at God through a cultural lens. I refuse to look at God through a cultural lens lens. And we do this all the time and we are all guilty, okay? There's no one in this room who doesn't do this at least once, okay? And and it's easy for us to sit there and go, "Well, it's the people on the other end of the political spectrum who do this." No, we all do it, okay? Everybody has a bias, a cultural bias. But it happens even in scripture, okay? So let's look in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 22. We have a story where Abraham is encountering God, and, and, and Abraham is, has had some conversations with God up until this point, and God has made him some promises. One of the promises he's made him is that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars, and this comes to pass to where he has a son, and then God has this conversation with him, and he says, take that one son, that, that promise that I've given to you, and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, you recognize that this is a strange request from God, because the rest of the Old Testament tells us that God hates it when people do that. He hates it when people do that. But God asked this of Abraham. So to us, when we read that, we go, this is one of those things in the Bible where you read it and you're like, what kind of a God would ask that? What kind of a God would do that? This is hard to reconcile. Well, the reality is, if you actually look at Abraham's culture of that day, and what you'll notice about the story is when God asks Abraham to do it, what does Abraham do? He just turns around and does it, no questions asked. Or at least he tries to. Because Abraham is looking through a cultural lens. What kind of a God would ask you to sacrifice your kid? In Abraham's day, every single one. Every single religion of Abraham's day would have required child sacrifice in order to make your God happy, in order to make better crops, whatever. And so this is normal for Abraham. You just pretty well had to plan on sacrificing a kid at some point. This is part of life. And so Abraham is just gonna go through with it because he's viewing this God through his cultural norms. And then God steps in and says, no, 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 no. We're not gonna do this. Now I see that you're faithful, so that's good. But the bigger message for us to grasp from this is that God is telling Abraham, I'm not like those other gods. I'm not like that. I am different from your cultural understanding of what a God is. But we do it too. Maybe not in the same way, at least I hope not. But culture tells us that God would only want us to be happy, right? Healthy and wealthy. These are the things that God wants for my life. But I don't think that that's the message of Scripture. I think the message of Scripture is God wants you to be holy. And that health and wealth and, and, and happiness are not necessarily part of the package deal. See, the gospel is not that Jesus wants to give you a better life. The gospel is that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We need to be redeemed from our brokenness. We need him to adopt us into his eternal family. That is the gospel. And don't get me wrong, there's some good stuff. There's some good life tips in the Bible, right? If you read it and you apply some of these principles, things like generosity, right, and forgiveness and gratitude, you apply those things to your life, it's gonna make your life better. Even if you don't believe in God, it's gonna make your life better. It's gonna make the lives of those around you better. But that is not the core message of Scripture. The message of the Bible is you can't save yourself. You can't do it. You need to be redeemed. But we live in a fix-it culture, right? I'm guilty of this. i got to fix everything, man. i got to fix my house. i got to fix my car. Like this week, I had to fix my car, and it's still not fixed. I'm mad. But <laughs> it happens all the time. We gotta fix people. We gotta fix problems. A lot of times those are the same thing, right? I gotta fix me. I'm currently batting a zero on fixing me completely, right? I get really close to perfection, really close. And then I mess it all up, right? I don't know if you've ever been there. We cannot look at God through an American lens, we can't look at Him through a British lens. We can't look at him through a conservative or a liberal lens. We have to look at him through the lens of scripture. And then look at our culture. When you get that right, when you look at God through a scriptural lens and you have that clear, mess things up a little bit by looking at your culture through that lens. That'll mess some stuff up. So I refuse to look through a cultural lens. Second one is this. I refuse to look at God through a partial lens. I refuse to look at God through a partial lens. And we can do this with with our scriptural lens, right? Even if you are looking now, not through a cultural lens, but a scriptural lens, if it's partial, you're gonna end up with a crooked view still. Because we can kind of get into this separate the Old Testament from the New Testament mentality, where we only see God through the lens of the New Testament. And that's problematic. In fact, I was on social media. I do it every now and then just to watch the world burn, I guess. But I try not to get involved, but sometimes my fingers just, they, you know. But, but I was on social media and there was, a, there was this post about how terrible God is. And the comments, I was just reading the comments. And one of the comments said, you know what? I like Jesus, but I just, I'm just not into the angry God in the Old Testament. Now, we could spend the rest of the morning just on that. But if you separate the two, you are not getting a good view of God. In fact, we can make this actually really simple. If we try to separate the New Testament from the Old Testament, I want to I show this to you in a really simple example, okay? So I do I have any Marvel fans in here. Anyone into Marvel movies? Yeah? Quite a few. Um, anyone into Lord of the Rings? Big Lord of the Rings fans? Okay. Y'all need to watch more movies. Um, okay, so the Marvel MCU universe, okay? You, you've got this collection of 1,000 movies, okay? And they all lead up to one called Endgame, right? So now I, wanna imagine, you want, I want you to imagine you don't know anything about it. You don't know anything about the MCU. You've never read a comic. You've never watched a movie. You've never even heard of it, okay? And your buddy says, hey, let's go watch Endgame, And you're like, that sounds like a good movie, let's go. So you go and you watch the movie and you sit there and you're like, this is an awesome movie and I have absolutely no idea what's going on, right? Cinematically, fantastic. Something epic just happened, awesome. But none of this makes sense because the end doesn't make sense without the beginning, and if we apply this to our view on scripture, the end doesn't make sense without the beginning. And we, can do, we do this all the time, right? We, we just pick out little pieces and try to make a picture with them. I call this the single verse Jesus syndrome, where you just pick out one verse about Jesus and you, you just think that's the whole thing. Jesus said, Do not judge. All right, everybody, no more judgment. Well, that's true. Jesus said, do not judge. But he also said a lot of other things too, right? And it's like taking one piece from a 10,000-piece puzzle and going, "Ah, oh, yeah. That's the picture. That's not the picture, right? It's a piece of it. But there's a whole lot more to it. And when we separate the old from the new we have problems. Jesus actually said this in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures, talking to the Pharisees, because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. You need to understand that reading the Old Testament is learning who Jesus is and why he's important. Anytime we think about God, if we're going to have a complete view of him, if we're not going to look through a partial lens, we need to think about God, we think about him through a a scriptural lens, taking into account the beginning, the middle, and the end. And if you remove any part of that, it stops making sense. You've got to have the whole thing. The third one is this, I will start looking at God through a God is good lens. I will start looking at God through a God is good lens. We go through some stuff in this life, right? And some of those things are gonna make us doubt the goodness of God. But if our starting place is that God is good, then those things get easier to go through. See, the story of the Old Testament is not that God wants to destroy mankind. Our culture will get get you to try to believe that God is just angry out to blow everything up. But the story of the Old Testament is not that God wants to destroy mankind, but he wants to redeem it. And as you read the Old Testament, you actually realize everything that God does is an attempt to bring us back into relationship with him. The question is not so much why is God so angry, but the question is why does God continue to forgive us? Why does God continue to bring us back in? And the answer we find all across scripture, but particularly here in John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The whole story of the Old Testament leads up to redemption, to be saved. And it starts early too. In Genesis chapter 15, this is before this little uh, cultural moment with Abraham and sacrificing his son. We have a moment where Abraham has been given this promise by God. He said, you're gonna have these descendants as numerous as the stars. But Abraham has a problem because his wife can't have kids. And so Abraham actually has a conversation with God and says, how do I know that you can be trusted? How do I know that you can be faithful? you said this, but it seems impossible. So I don't know that you can be trusted. How do I know that you can be trusted? So God just responds and says, all right, Bring me some animals. Now, this is weird if we just read it through our Western lens, right? Bring me some animals. And Abraham goes, gets some animals, he brings them back, and then he cuts them all in half and lays them out on the ground. So it's just getting weirder, right, at this point. God hasn't given him any instructions. He hasn't said, hey, bring me some animals, cut them open, lay them out on the ground, anything like that. He just says, hey, bring me some animals. This is weird to us, but it's not weird to Abraham. Abraham. Because in the culture of his day, when someone says, hey, bring me those animals, those animals particularly, they're about to set up what's called a covenant. And a covenant is kind of a big deal. A covenant is where a stronger king and a weaker subject come into agreement over something. They seal it in blood and there are blessings and curses attached to it. And if they're faithful, they get the blessings. And if they're not faithful, the weaker subject gets the curses, usually related to how those animals look on the ground. There are some super dark covenants where they would like wrap the the intestines of the animals around their ankles and then basically say, hey, if you break this covenant, this is what your kids are going to look like. This is dark stuff back in those days, man. But to Abraham, this is normal, And so he lays these animals out on the ground. And then it says that he drove the birds away. Well, why did he drive birds away? Well, birds come down when stuff has been sitting there for a while, right? So Abraham, he's asked God to say, hey, how do I know you're going to be faithful? How do I know that you're going to follow through on this? And then God asks him to bring these animals back. And Abraham has a sudden realization, I think, in his mind that, uh uh-oh, I've just come face to face with the living God. And he's about to tell me that he's going to be faithful, but he's about to expect something from me. He's about to expect something from me. This is not just him proving it. This is, there's something on my part that I need to be faithful with. And I don't think I can be. And so he sits and he watches and he waits and the birds come down and start feasting on it. And then he drives them away. And then something weirder happens. It gets dark, and then a smoking pot and a flaming torch pass between the animals. And then we move on to the next chapter. (laughs) Those are a few words that are said before that. And in our Western understanding of that, we just go, yeah, Old Testament's weird, right? (laughs) Where's that New Testament again? Okay. But the reality is, is that there's something huge that happens here because Abraham is unwilling to pass through because he knows he can't be faithful. He knows he can't stick it. And so the smoking pot and the flaming torch move through together instead. And if you read the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see that sometimes a smoking something or other and a flaming something or other come together and they represent something. They represent God. And so God actually passes through and you could argue that it's father and son moving through here. Making the agreement that, hey, I'm going to be faithful. But if you do not live up to the expectation of this covenant, I'm going to take the curse instead. I'll take the curse. Because in reality, I know that you're not going to be faithful. In fact, if you read the next chapter, Abraham is unfaithful. Right? He tries to fulfill the promise himself through his wife's servant. And then weirdly, God fulfills the promise through him anyway. Because he's already agreed, I'm going to take it. This makes even more sense when we go to the New Testament, right? Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, the reality is is that God could have wiped mankind off the planet a million times for how unfaithful we've been. But he continues to extend the offer of redemption. And I love this part in Romans because we see God's goodness in Christ's sacrifice. We see God's goodness in Christ's fulfillment of this Old Testament covenant. Saying, I will take the curse. I will be the one to take the penalty. And then he does it in his crucifixion. It shows his patience. It shows the righteousness of God. It shows that he is just, but in his grace and his mercy... He justifies those who put their faith in Christ. And if you read more of the New Testament, particularly Hebrews, Hebrews makes the Old Testament make a whole lot more sense. I recommend you do it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Your sin comes at the price of death. It has to be paid for. You're not let off the hook. It has to be paid for. But there's a cultural push and a partial lens push right now to remove the idea of sin from Christianity. Say, it's, like, it's not that bad. You're good. You're enough. But we don't like being told we're sinful, too, right? No one likes being told that. No one likes being told there's something wrong with them that they needs to be fixed. And if you don't like that, you've got two choices. Your first choice is that you just get mad and walk away from Christianity altogether. Like, you know what? I don't care. And a lot of people are doing that. Your other choice is that you just create a false version of God that you like better, right? Who doesn't require quite as much of you, where Jesus just becomes a really big cheerleader. That doesn't work either, really, not long-term. And it doesn't make sense either, right? Because without sin, redemption makes no sense. What are you being redeemed from? Jesus dying on the cross makes no sense if we haven't done anything wrong. See, if I say that Jesus loves me despite my sin, I'm affirming the power of the cross. I'm, I'm, I'm saying Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive sins, But if I say that Jesus loves me so much that he's okay with my sin, then I cheapen the cross, right? I effectively spit in the face of the the death and the resurrection and all that it represents. Because if my sin isn't really sin, then Jesus didn't really need to die. So Tim Keller uh, was a pastor, uh, speaker, writer. He passed away on Friday night An absolute hero in the faith, in my opinion. Um, If you've heard him speak or or read his books, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, If you haven't, you need to. And he said something that I think really sums up what I'm trying to say to you guys this morning. He said this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And we have to get past our cultural and our partial lens to see that. See, you may be sitting here this morning and and there's some dark stuff in your life. There's some stuff that you're, you're doing that you know is not right. But your life is working. Things are going well. And culturally, we kind of see that as kind of a signal that we're, we must be doing something right, right? If everything's going right, we must be—we can't be doing anything too bad. And so you think God is okay with what you're doing, but He's not okay. It's probably that you're living in His patience, not His pleasure. That He's continuing to extend out that arm for redemption. And I've been there. I still go there sometimes. This is not a a message from somebody who's got it all together. This is a message from somebody who walks with a limp. I look back on some of the things in my life and I, I wish I could erase them, but I can't. Those things have consequences that we live with, but they don't have to have an eternal consequence. And a verse that really helps me is in Romans chapter 6, verse 21 through 23. It says this. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Those things result in death. But, I love the buts in the Bible. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the gospel. That's the good news. that He continues to extend out his arm to redeem us. And you may be sitting here this morning, you, you, you might not be sure what to do with this. Maybe this message is something that you've heard and you go, I don't, know, I don't know what to do with that. Maybe it just puts a rock in your shoe right now and I'm okay with that. And you're gonna walk on that rock for a few days and, and maybe later this week, you're gonna be like, maybe God isn't who I think he is and I need to reevaluate this. Maybe I need to open my Bible and read about the God who is. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in that place of just recognizing, I, there's something wrong. I've tried to fix it myself. I've tried to redeem it myself. I've tried to make it right myself and it hasn't worked. I need to be redeemed. I need to be raised. Because this stuff is leading to death. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this just leaves you with questions. I'm a fan of questions. If you have questions, if you're not questioning stuff, you're not doing it right. You have to ask questions. And that's okay. But maybe you're here and and you're thinking, I need to do something right now. I need to do something right now. So what I wanna do with you with all eyes closed, heads bowed, phones put away, I wanna give that opportunity. I wanna give that opportunity to say I need my sin to be paid for. I want to come before the God who is. Not my version, the real one. And I need to ask him to pay for what I've done. I think the best way to do that is just to enter into a conversation with him. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer if you want to to follow along. I'll stop at the end of every line. Give you a chance to respond either in your heart or in your out loud, out loud, I don't mind. Maybe you just want to say your own prayer and that's fine too. The prayer goes like this. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. The true God. I believe that you came and that you died to pay for my sin. That I have wronged you and I need to be redeemed. I believe that you didn't stay dead but that you resurrected, you overcame the grave. That I can walk in freedom and be adopted into your family eternally. Forgive me Be the Lord of my life. I offer you myself
0: completely. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by the message. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you wanna be a part of our online community, connect with us through Facebook or Instagram with the handle at HighRidgeLV or you can check out our website at HighRidgeLV.com. Lastly, if this ministry has impacted your life and you'd like to support its work, visit HighRidgeLV.com give. We appreciate your support and we're believing with you today for God's best in your life. Have an incredible week and we will see you next time.